you're listening to the Rent Roll Radio Show with Sterling Chapman. And we're back here today with a good friend of mine. I don't think he actually remembers this story, but he is the first stranger that I ever spoke to about real estate investing a couple years ago when I when I looked up to, to go to a meeting, a local meetup, and I walked in the door, and he was actually the first person that came up and, and started talking to me. So when, when I think about this gentleman, you know, the word that comes to mind for me is faithful. He is faithful to the process and the craft, and everywhere I go, I bump into him. I, I, I always think everywhere there's two or more real estate investors gathered, <laughs> Robert's there. So without further ado, I, I'd love to introduce our second guest on, on the show, Command Sergeant Major Robert Leonard. Robert, thank you so much for joining us today. Glad to join you. My pleasure. So on our program, I know you have a, a tremendous amount of experience and, and kind of going back and forth between your military life and, and your real estate investing. I think it's super interesting how you were able to, to kind of make both of those things work and switch gears back and forth. So the, the first question we generally ask on the show is, you know, why should we listen to you? So what real estate investing experience or, or knowledge are, are you bringing to the show today? Tell us a little bit about what your background is. Well, I don't consider myself an expert, but I do have a little experience. <laughs> Hopefully, it's something that somebody can learn from who might be listening. I've been investing for over 20 years. I did it on the side of my, my military career while I was in the, the military, and I've been doing it full-time since I retired almost seven years ago. And I've done a little bit of the most common strategies that people are using today, I've, I have a few rental properties. I have done some flips and I've also done some wholesaling. So there's a few things I've learned along the way. I've done, you know, in the ballpark of 60 deals. Oh, wow. And uh, so it's something that I enjoy helping others learn to do what I've done. Awesome. And that's something that comes from my experience in the military. As a leader, that was something that I did that was successful that was what I considered a success while I was in the military was whenever you learn to do something and then you show somebody else and help them be successful at doing the same thing or a lot of times do a lot more whenever they come along with a, a lot more talent and ability than yourself sometimes they'll just run right past you once you show them the things that you know awesome awesome yeah absolutely leadership is definitely how we amplify our, our footprint on, on the earth I definitely agree with you on that and, and love the direction that you're taking it. And, and I've learned a lot from you, you know, through, through all of our interactions. So I, I know several other people have too. The, uh, the next, you know, question that we really have is just kind of tell us about your background. You know, we know you have a military background. Kind of can elaborate a little bit on, on that and then how you, how you went from being in the military to becoming interested in real estate investing and, and maybe touch on, kind of your, your first deal or, or what that whole process looked like, how you went from one to the other and, and you know, where you were before that. Okay. I started in the military as a part-time soldier and I was in college and trying to play football, trying to walk on to the UL, it was USL football team back then. Okay. And that all didn't go quite as well as planned. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes that happens. <laughs> That's right. And uh, I ended up going from being a part-time student and a part-time soldier and doing the, the football stuff for just a, about a year. Then I, 
I was out of school and worked a couple of odd jobs. And at the end of the year, when it came time to do my tax return, I didn't really have much money. And back then you, you had to go to the library to, they would set up a kiosk. Mm-hmm. It was before you had no, when, 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 I'm going to date you for the audience. When, when was this? This was this was 1989. 1989. <laughs> I was four. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, you go to the library. They have a kiosk set up with all the forms you need and the publications and the worksheets and all. And I was kind of terrified because you know you. You grow up hearing all of these bad things about the IRS. Uh-huh. And here I am about to prepare something that I'm going to send to them for myself. First time ever. Yeah. And uh, once I got the basic 1040 EZ, which is all that I really needed, it's a one-page form that you can do your taxes on when you don't have anything beyond just a, a few little W-2s or yeah. 1099s from odd and end jobs that I'd done. I went through that process, and line by line, it tells you... If you have this type of income, see this publication or see this worksheet. And all of these government forms have a estimated time to prepare on. Mm-hmm. And this one had like 33 minutes on it. Mm-hmm. And, um, well, for me, three days later, <laughs> <laughs> when I had the whole thing filled out, I went from, you know, being scared to send this document with my math on it and to the IRS. I went to being confident about, okay, this is all really simple stuff. It's just yeah. a matter of reading. Sure. And that was really kind of my light bulb moment for me. Going through the process of looking at those worksheets and looking at what the different forms of income were, how each of them were taxed. That's whenever I got to thinking wow. of, well, I don't really have any money right now, but I have a, some really good ideas about, about what I want to do to get the most bang for my buck in the mm-hmm. long run. And, nice. and so I went from, you know, doing my, looking at the publications and forms and all to do my tax return to checking out books from the library for learning about business and real estate investing. So what were you in school for? I was in school for mass communication. That was my Okay. Major. Yeah. Okay. That's interesting. I, I love hearing that you started with the tax form and just looking at a 1040EZ, you were able to figure out all of the tax breaks associated with passive and real estate income, and you went from there. I mean, we all we all got started for very similar reasons, but it was typically through you know a book that told us or or, or a podcast or somebody right. else brought that. But that sounds about as grassroots effort as you could possibly get. Right. Personally, spending three days digging through an IRS form and coming to that conclusion on your own—that's awesome. So, what did you do from there? How did we? How did you act on on the you know your new interests? From there, I just really became a sponge, and it was just like I couldn't get enough of reading and learning about business and real estate investing and investing in general, both in the stock market and real estate. And, and I've done both of those types of investing. And that that was more of a chore in 1989 than it was in 2019. Right. You overdose on content today. I can't pull up my phone without 14 different, you know, articles popping up and being thrown in my face. But in in the late 80s and early 90s, you had to go to the library and check them out. You had to read the long books to get the little nuggets. It was a whole different world. So you really came uphill both ways. That's right. That's right. (laughs) 
Tell us, I mean, I'd love to hear about the, the stock investing as well, the stock investing and the real estate investing and, and how you ultimately decided to focus primarily on the real estate investing. Okay. Well, um, I looked at where the advantages are in the way what you have gets taxed. And I saw all of the, the real tax advantages to the tax shelters that you have through a 401k and an IRA investments. And this is actually before they started the Roth. Okay. Roth didn't even exist when I first started doing just traditional IRA investing mm-hmm. along with a 401k investing and then real estate on this in, in addition to that. So I was, I was doing all of those all together. Okay. That's where I actually started. You know, once I got, I had a job, I was a lineman for energy. Okay. I, I did that for three years before I went, I went from being a part-time soldier to active duty. And that was actually the, the whole, the main decision behind that was because I would get 30 days of leave being on active duty and I only had 10 days of vacation. <laughs> and, and working for Intergy would not allow me to, to have enough time to be able to do any kind of real estate investing or much else outside of working for Intergy. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> so, so I did, you know, both of those and the main qualification to buy a house back when I first started was to have a year on a job, on a full-time job. And I bought my first house on the day that I made one year on my first full-time job. Oh, nice. (laughs) Now that was a house that you lived in? It was a house that I lived in. And it was a house hack before they called it house hack. Right. I bought the house. I rented to one of my military buddies. I rented a bedroom to him. And the third bedroom was my home office. Awesome. <laughs> People don't talk about the home office, but that's another something that when you look into the tax advantages, the home right. office is another something that, yeah. that uh, people should know about who are sure. looking at the house hack. Well, that's awesome. So where, where did you go from there? From, the fr- from there, I just continued to kind of be the sponge and learn every different way that I could. I took a course from a guy that came through town. He was out of Florida and he did, he was kind of in between a, a Dave Ramsey and any of the finance guys that you come across today mm-hmm. that talk about personal finance and investing as well. Yeah. Uh, and so about eight months later is whenever I, I bought my first true investment property, just, you know, purely a rental property. Okay. What was that? Can you give us the numbers on it? Uh, it was, uh, it was an REO. Okay. It was a, Can and you, the house that I bought first was an REO as well. I, and I just found it by accident. I was, I was on my way to my brother's house. Can you elaborate a little bit on that and tell, sure. I guess, how, how do you find an REO? How do you buy an REO? How does that differ from just another one that's listed on the MLS? Okay. An REO basically is a bank-owned property. They call them a repo as well as an REO. And today it works a lot differently than it did back then. Okay. Um, back then they would sell it directly to the public. A bank or, in this case, it was a VA repo. Those okay. first two that I bought were VA repos. Okay. And they would sell them. They would actually sell them and finance. So it was really one decision maker you had to deal with. It was the easiest way to buy a house ever. Oh, wow. Yeah. You made an offer. And if they accepted your offer, you know, it came with financing too. Well, because because you were in the military, so it, anybody could do it. Anybody could, do right? It. Okay. A lot of people did, you know. Oh, wow. uh, but I mean, at the time when I first started, 
it was so close to the really worst crash that happened in Louisiana in real estate in my lifetime. When was that? That was in the late 80s. Okay. When the oil bust happened. Yeah. Lafayette in particular had uh, just dramatic real estate crisis. I've heard some older folks tell me the horror stories of writing negative cash flow checks for a year straight before they went bankrupt. It was, mm-hmm. From my, underst- my my very, very rudimentary understanding of it, it was two things. There was the oil bust, and that's, for those of you that aren't in the Gulf Coast, that is kind of the lifeblood of the economy around here. Um, and then coupled with they changed the law on accelerated depreciation. So the combination of the two was was just catastrophic for the real estate market. Right. So what were the numbers on, on that first investment property? How much did you uh, pay for it? it How was, much did you put down? It was what was the note? $18,000. An $18,000 property in, right. in Lafayette? A, yeah, it was a little three-bedroom, one-bath house. And at the time, it came with, the financing was 30-year finance. Okay. Um, what did you put down? Zero. 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 Okay. Now, did you use a VA loan to put that down? It wasn't considered a VA loan. Okay. But, you know, VA did, it was all a process that was done through VA. Okay. It doesn't exist anymore. So, Um, what was the note? um, The note on that house was like $135 a month. Oh, wow. Yeah. And what was the... <laughs> I mean, and I said I put nothing down it, but I mean, it cost me like 700 bucks for closing costs. Closing costs, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was about $700 is what it cost me out of pocket to do that first investment. And then... And, we, then, and then everybody still told me I was crazy just uh, to do that. Oh, uh, yeah. I went through it. Yeah. Yeah, most of the people that told me I was crazy want to get in on my deals today. Right. Um, and, and that house rented for 350 a month. 350 You know, I was like, look, man, this house... <laughs> look what my payments are and... So, you, so the note was what? The the note with insurance, taxes and insurance was like one thirty five. Okay, so so you were you were cash flowing two hundred bucks a month. Yeah, two hundred bucks a month times twelve. That's twenty four hundred a year. Right. Out of a seven hundred dollar investment, that's. Right. That's a, a three hundred and fifty percent cash and cash return. That's a, that sounds like a good deal. <laughs> I'll take that any day of the week for sure. <laughs> so, so what happened next? Keep going. What? Uh, from there, I, I just that's what I, I would do is um, pick up properties, and I would only buy a property back then because I didn't know anything about rehab and I didn't know how to do any sure. repairs and things. And that didn't come until later when I started learning how to do any kind of repairs and figure out what that takes and you know mm-hmm. who to get to do it when I didn't know how. And I was picking up probably one or two a year. And then whenever I went on active duty, things slowed down for me with the real estate investing just because I didn't, you know, I had more time committed to doing stuff with my military position. Sure. And I gradually, after transitioning from my civilian job to my full-time military position. That's mm-hmm. whenever I I started doing some more investing again. Okay. So I'm looking at a timeline here. You started in the late 80s. Mm-hmm. And then you continued buying properties through the 90s? Right. Through probably the mid-90s. Okay. And then, and then 
things. And as you started moving up with the military, it just became more consuming. Right, right. So um, a couple of factors. I mean, prices really once the um, let's see when was it? Probably the the late nineties is when things really turned around and started yeah. growing a whole lot. Uh-huh. And prices really went way up on a lot of real estate. Gotcha. And so for me, it became harder and harder to find deals. Yeah. It, it was still something I was doing part time. And you, and you, I'm sure you made a killing on all of the ones that you decided to sell that you bought. Exactly. The down exactly. So it was um, probably hard to pass up. The, and, and I did a couple of flips in between. And when 9 11 happened, mm-hmm. that's whenever things really got really busy for me. Sure, I could imagine. Yeah. Right, right. And um, I had deployments to both Iraq and Afghanistan, mm-hmm. and with the they call it op tempo. You know, it's just a, a busy time uh-huh. uh, in the military. Sure. Uh, my wife was spending a whole lot more time being more of a single mom yeah, with me yeah. being away as much as I, I had to. So having you know started with those properties early. And built up a huge amount of equity. Mm-hmm. Uh, I cashed out of a lot of those properties. Yeah. And you know, I told people whenever I was selling those properties that I wasn't getting out of the business. It's right. just a matter. Of, <laughs> it was a matter of think. It was a really good time to sell. Sure. Because uh, you know, I, there would be better opportunities down the road to buy more and to buy again. Yeah. So. And and, and there there was. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so after two thousand one, you took a how many year hiatus to. Pursue all your. Um, I didn't buy any properties between two, between nine eleven and probably it was two thousand eleven. That's when I started buying properties again. You know, okay. right before right before my retirement, I retired in two thousand twelve. Okay. So two thousand eleven, as I was winding down in my so, career, so you were able starting to, s- to skip over that that. Uh, crisis that happened in 2008 and 9 and 10. Right, right. Okay. Yeah, I, I had only held on to two properties. Oh, wow. You know, during that time period. So I had sold all but, but two. So um, what now in 2011, is that when you retired? I retired in 2012. Okay. So what did it look like when you picked things back up? Well, I mean, very dramatically different from when I, I first started the course. And... At the time, I was still looking to to buy primarily REOs okay. because it was what was always undervalued sure. and where the opportunities were for investing. Okay. Um, so that's what I was looking at, and it was really much more competitive. Mm-hmm. Um, whenever I first started looking at houses, I could go to any bank oh. and ask them about their, you know, if they had any REOs, and they would hand me a two or three pages stapled together with one line that's because when nothing but with, when you did it back in the late 80s the guy had to go to uh, the library to pull out all these books and and do research the hard way and walk walk uphill both ways right in, in 2012 all you need is a youtube subscription and you got the mechanics and you're on your way to, to, right. to flipping properties so uh-huh. i bet there is a lot more competition today right so where did you go from there? What happened next? How how's from there? I basically, was really focusing on building my portfolio up again and mm-hmm. um, picking up about three to five properties a year, just specifically really good properties in good areas mm-hmm. where I could 
I manage my properties myself. Uh-huh. So I never really had uh, an ambition to have a huge portfolio. Sure. And that's really what I what I did for a few years. I still did my own kind of a one man show operation, just uh-huh. cherry picking deals and looking for specifically the properties that I wanted to own that were that fit my my management system basically that I follow to manage my properties. Yeah. So a conversation that I recall having with you the first day we met was I had just been reading and had come to the conclusion that I wanted to invest in small multifamily properties because the cash flow and the spreadsheets made more sense to me. And when I met you, you said, well, no, I only invest in single family properties. And I said, but why? You know, I've got these little, and you said, well... Managing single family houses, it's, it's a whole like different class of tenant and, and they're a year and a half and 18 multifamily units later. I'm here to tell you, you're right. <laughs> you're right. <laughs> it's a whole different ball game. Well, it, it really is something where once you get people that are very stable settled mm-hmm. in, it really is much more of uh, an investment that's on autopilot. It still needs management. It still needs your attention. But it, it, is, it does feel much more like you're on autopilot. Man, the, uh, yeah. the single family houses that I have, you know, when they need me to fix something, they're, they're, you can tell even though they don't own it, they have like a pride of ownership type of mentality. Like, this is my house. So, you know, I had, right. I had, you know, the first house I bought, the lady's been in it for a year and a half and she, you know, minimal that she ever calls me, but I, she wanted me to fix up a few things. So, I went over there to fix them up, and she you could tell she called me after. She goes, I'm keeping your house looking nice, huh? She was so uh, proud. Right. <laughs> Whereas when I go to, like, my fourplexes, like, I spend half the time picking up trash out of the yard that the people live there just, like, threw in their front yard. And it's like, uh-huh. what's going on here? <laughs> right. <laughs> so I definitely get what you were trying to tell me back then. And uh, I think about it often, usually when I'm picking up trash. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, the, the you know the next the next point we kind of go to in the show is we like to hear about the highlights and the lowlights. So I wanted to like hear about one home run, one deal that just went way better than expected. That was awesome, like a flip that you made, an absolute killing on, or or a, you know a wholesale or, or something that worked out like better than than you expected, and then something that that went tragically wrong or something that just didn't perform as well as you expected. You grow and you learn from your mistakes. And I just mm-hmm. want, you know, I always like to try and learn from other people's mistakes. For sure. <laughs> so that's, I, I'm the baby of, of three boys. So I love learning from my brother's mistakes uh-huh. and not making them my own. So, so if you could like tell me about a, a speed bump so that I could go around it, we just, we love hearing about that. Okay. Well, I mean, um, that's something that I hear a lot of people say, you know, buy something and you'll learn more from that than any other way. Well, I, I think it's a Warren Buffett rule that you can learn a lot from mistakes, but they don't have to be your own. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that's that's a good uh, idea to follow that, I believe. For me, you know, one of my biggest lessons learned in investing was I bought a, a small multifamily property up in Alexandria. Uh-huh. And in the broad daylight, it did seem like a very bad area. Uh And um, it was right next to the historic district. And it really, 
it petered. It went kind of sideways a, a good while. It, it was making money, and I had actually financed the property to another investor mm-hmm. because um, it's something that I did with my self-directed IRA. Mm-hmm. And this is money that was stock market money that I grew and built from right. investing in the stock market through a 401k that I had from Entergy and then also from some separate IRA funds that I had put together. So I, I would love for you to elaborate on that topic because mm-hmm. I, I think a lot of our guests don't even know that, or a lot of our, our listeners don't even know that that's a possibility. Mm-hmm. How do you go about investing your retirement income, your 401k or your IRA into real estate? And why does it make so much sense? Can you, can you elaborate on that topic a little bit? Well, the 401k is a huge opportunity for people. And a lot of people nowadays, I hear it amongst real estate people, how much you can do so much better with your money in real estate. Well, I think if you pass up a free 50% return Uh on money, that that's not the best idea. Right. So not many people, much like I didn't stay with that employer, stay with an employer for a lifetime. Uh So while you're young, your early dollars that you have to invest and the opportunity to get started in a tax deferred you know, type of arrangement like the 401k that gives you some, it, it, whenever people talk about self-directed IRA investing in real estate, uh it's always a matter of how do I get enough in there to be able to do anything significant? Right. Well, the, the best way I think is to put money into it as much as you can, as early as you can. Sure. And then when that day comes that you're no longer with that employer, then you have options of what you can, what you can do with your, your retirement. So, and I don't know if you know the answer to this. I'm sure we can figure it out quickly if you don't, but is there a self-directed 401k or is the process to roll over what you have in your 401k into an IRA and then use that as self-directed to invest with? Well, there's what's called a solo 401k. And that's mm-hmm. something that a self-employed person can have under a certain set of criteria. Uh-huh. You have to, you know, have a closely held business that only you and maybe a spouse or a close relative that are the only employees that are uh, working for the company uh-huh. uh, to do a solo 401k. So, and, and that's something that's totally different from the self-directed IRA. Right. There's a different set of rules for each. Okay. So typically when it comes to investing in real estate, you're going to do a self-directed IRA and those, those funds typically rolled over from a, a 401k? Well, it's, it's really going to be kind of on a case by case basis, depending on, on how your business is set up. The solo 401k does have much higher contribution limits on okay. an annual basis. Okay. You, that was my next question. Why would somebody set up a, four, a solo 401k? Right. And it's higher contribution limits. Right, right. Okay. And, and I mean, it works good for somebody that's a realtor. Self-employed. Right. You're considered a, you know, you're self-employed really. You don't, you're not an employee of your broker. Yeah. Uh, and that gives an advantage where you can put in much larger amounts on an annual mm-hmm. basis as your contributions to that solo 401k as opposed to, I think the limit is 6,000 or 6,500, depending on your age right. for a, a self-directed IRA. Okay. Uh, I gotcha. But you see, from a 
where, where the advantage of having an employer sponsored 401k where you work they'll somewhere, they'll match it and you can let that money start growing and take advantage of that and get those employer contributions as well as yours working for you. And then when the day comes that you, you leave there, then you can roll that over to an IRA. Okay. And then you can use some of those self-directed IRA type of gotcha. investments. So what type of invest, you mentioned uh, seller financing. What type of investments would you do with the self-directed IRA? What, which ones make sense and which ones are you prohibited from? So from what I've heard about them in the past, there's limitations. Like you That's can't right. physically do any work. That's or, right. And that's some of what was the challenge that I had with the property I owned up in Alexandria. Okay. Um, you, you can't manage it yourself. You okay. can't work on it yourself. Because if you think about it, if your money is in a category that's a, that's a, got tax privileges. Uh-huh. Um, so how do you put a value on, you know, your management or your work that you might do to the property if there's a limit to your contributions to your IRA account. I got you. So, so that, that's just an extension of your, your limitations exactly, and the contributions. Exactly. So a lot of people don't like them for that reason, but if you if you really understand and think about it, that's really why it makes sense that they set it up that way. Okay. So, you know, you if, if you were allowed, if I was able to manage it and you just put an actual value and said, okay, well, we'll say that it's 10% and we put a value in it. So, when you get to the point in the year that you've reached the limit of the annual contributions, would you stop or, you know, right. how would you, it, it gets really messy if you try to do something like that. So what type of investing would be good for a self-directed IRA? It, it's, it's what's considered passive. Um, okay. What's considered passive investments. So owning a rental property, and having someone else manage it and do any repairs or things like that okay. is passive in the eyes of the IRS. And it sounds like private lending? Lending is also another passive activity. So, and I hear people say they do wholesale deals or they'll flip a house and they do it with their self-directed IRA or uh, those type of investments. And there's a, a common practice that you can do too of those type of transactions a year and not have a problem. But from the advice that I was given by an estate attorney, you know, there's, there's no written exception in the rules. Gotcha. So, and, and what you're risking whenever you do something that would be considered an lose, active investment. Lose your tax. That's right. Referral. That's it. Your whole plan will be considered disqualified and all of it would be taxable at that point. If it was all in a, in a tax deferred status. Okay. So 401k money is tax deferred. And so it would have to go to a traditional self-directed IRA. And so that's money that's growing that will one day be taxed when you take it out. You can go to a Roth and, it, you know, if the taxes have been paid at some point and pay the taxes and then the growth on that money would grow without any taxes by today's tax rules. Mm-hmm. So as long as those rules are in place, you know, that money is never going to be taxed again. Okay. Once you get it into the Roth IRA category. Gotcha. Okay. Good deal. I appreciate you elaborating on that because that's something that, that I've been curious about, as I'm sure all of our listeners have. I did want to give you a chance to finish the, the first question. We know 
I, I can certainly empathize with the the multiplex that looked great in broad daylight. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and then when you go back at eight o'clock at night and you're looking for your gun. Uh-huh. Um, but do you want to do, do you want to finish up on how how that how sideways that went and then and then talk about your home run? Well, I mean. Um... The main thing of it going sideways is that, you know, in the end, I, I sold it for less than I bought it for. And if that money had stayed in the stock market where it was before, it would have probably tripled. So, I mean, that's uh, a huge loss in that aspect. Yeah, yeah. Opportunity cost is a cost. It is. It really is. And I hear a lot of people talk about what's good about getting your money into real estate as opposed to being in the stock market. And, you know, this is a real good example of I'd have been much better off if that money had stayed in the stock market. I got you. You know. So so let's uh, let's talk about a, a, a win, a home run you hit. A home run, I would say, is um, that first deal you you <laughs> talked about sounded like pretty good from a percentage standpoint. Right, right. I've done a lot of good deals that uh, just Warren Buffett calls them cigarette butts. You know, he he and his buddies as kids would pick up cigarettes that weren't all the way burned and they still had a little bit of uh-huh. burn left in them and so it's just like unrecognized value right and and that's what a time what i found in oreos is where you're you find opportunities and find really good deals even I, with all the competition <clears throat> are you still finding really good deals with oreos well they're not as plentiful as they used to be but mm-hmm. that's still where there are some opportunities that happen just uh you know every day on the mls and I wouldn't say every day, but on a regular basis. There was a house and you know, I'll tell one story about a, it's like the one that got away for me, but it's a, it worked out really good for my buddy. I had a property that came up as an REO that was out north of Lafayette and I had my eye on it and it went under contract and, and then it came back on the market. And they dropped the price by 10 grand on it. Or they dropped the price by 20 grand on it. It was on the market for 69. And then they dropped the price to 49 when it went back on the market. And I went out and checked up, took a look at the house. And, and it was almost in perfect condition. It looked like it hadn't even been lived in. And at the time I was waiting on a cash out refi on a couple of properties that I had. Mm-hmm. And, the bank was dragging their feet. It was really going slow, that process, as it tends to go sometimes sure. with smaller banks who do that type of lending. And so I, I was talking with my buddy, I, and, I, and I wasn't talking to him about that house in particular, but then just talking, and I said, you know what, I, are you looking for an investment? I said, because there's one that, that I, you know, is right under my nose, and, you know, I'd like to buy it, but somebody's going to buy it. And mm-hmm. I said, I can just represent you as a realtor. Mm-hmm. And uh, long story short, he ended up getting it, you know, and he got it for 52. Whenever he got the thing appraised, it appraised for 136. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and the way, the way that story went for me and why it was just really kind of bittersweet is, you know, we were there at the closing and, there he was, you know, picking up just a ton of equity and sure. and doing a whole lot, you know, better than I was sitting there as the realtor, you know, and I probably didn't clear a thousand dollars. Right. You right. know, so once the broker got the cut out of that, but 
that could have gone differently, you know, that could have gone where I was the one buying and I still could have got that, that little check. Right. Right. <laughs> if it was just for, you know, having a, a bank that was a little bit faster. So, this stuff. so you focus primarily today, I, I guess you have your portfolio, which you don't want to be too large because you, you manage it yourself. And then you do a lot of flips and wholesales. That's right. And and then you just mentioned that you have your, your real estate license. Right. So do you recommend investors that are getting started get their real estate license? Do you find that that's been... It's not a requirement. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I invested for a long time without it when I was a part-time investor. I, mm-hmm. I got my license whenever... The month that I retired is when I went out and got my license. Okay. When I was going to be doing it full-time. And I do think it would have been good to have it sooner. Mm-hmm. Uh, just because of the fact that it's it's like my key to the city, I can access everything that's to the on MLS. the right everything that's on the market. I have access to it. Every house that's out there. So and it's available on my schedule, not yeah. somebody else's. Yeah, 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 yeah. And as a lot of times with those Oreos, when I was buying just those, as soon as they hit the market, you know, I was on my way to check it out. I didn't have to call and see if. Uh, you know, somebody was available to let me know. Yeah, and that's, I mean, that's, I think, why a lot of people would be interested in getting it. I think we all kind of understand that the, the commission aspect of having it is probably, you know, second or third string to right. that, that access. One thing, and I don't know how valid I really consider this argument, but you would be in a better state of authority to answer these questions. Some argue against getting it because of the disclosures that you're required to make mm-hmm. and, and from like a wholesaling standpoint or a foot, you know what I'm saying? Right. That if you're a licensed realtor, you're held to a higher standard and you, you know, right. make it that the seller could come back and say, well, I mean, you're a professional. So I assumed you were offering me, you know, the market value, right. which would prevent you from getting a better deal. Is that something that's ever come up? Or that you ever well, feel the pain? I hear people out? say that and I just kind of chuckle. Because yeah. <laughs> personally, I think being held to a higher standard is something that I don't mind. Absolutely. And, and, and I make it, I emphasize the fact that I'm held to a higher standard whenever yeah. I talk to them about the fact that I have a license. Uh-huh. I tell people just exactly that. I say, you know, I do have a realtor's license. You know, I'm not here as a realtor, I'm here as an investor. But Everything that I do as someone with a license is held to the code of ethics that all realtors have to abide by in all real estate matters. Mm-hmm. So I take it and I make a positive out of it. Absolutely. You know, there's not any one deal that I might make with somebody that would be worth me jeopardizing my livelihood. I mean, the real estate business is what I do for a living. So the idea that I'm held to a code of ethics and that if I do unethical business, I could risk losing my license. You know, I think that offers a measure of comfort to people when they know that, okay, there's an authority that I have to answer to other than just their opinion about me when it comes to if I was somebody out there doing some kind of a shady or unethical business practice. Right. Absolutely. No, I hear you on that. Do you mind uh, sharing with us what the average... 60 deals, that's, I mean, that's a, a good number of real estate transactions. What's the average amount of money you'd make on a flip? And what's the average, do you have a standard fee when it comes to wholesale on deals? It's really all over the place. It, we wouldn't 
averages, I think, are what get people in trouble in real estate. Gotcha. Just because there's so many variables mm-hmm. from one deal to the next. You know, I, I'll do a small wholesale deal if there's, and wholesale deals are just that small deals. Right. Where I'm monetizing a lead and making mm-hmm. a small amount off of it, whether it's a matter of my plate being full mm-hmm. or just a cash management decision to sure. not pass up a lead where I could make a small amount. And, and let another investor who is looking for just that, you know, have another opportunity at a property. So it's yeah. really, it really can be all over the place. Uh, Pe- people don't under- to, understand how much of a cash management game this is. It really <laughs> is. <laughs> you know, once you get a few projects going and on the market and the cash is tied up or, you know, you steady, continue to, to do marketing and get the next projects as, as you have steady deal flow going, you got to keep cash flowing. Okay, good deal. So the I guess the last question of our, our you know regularly scheduled program is, what advice do you have for anybody that's just getting started out? Anybody who's looking to scale, looking to you know shift to the next gear? What what advice do you have for for anybody out there? Like I guess maybe what would you do have done differently if you you know knew what you knew now starting out? I don't know exactly that I would do. A whole lot different. I, I really am glad that I had my military experience and that career and what I did there professionally, I think is more important professionally than anything else I'll ever do. As far as in investing goes, it's just a matter of doing your homework, in mm-hmm. my opinion. And you don't have to learn by making all of the mistakes you said, like <laughs> I said earlier. Yeah. Uh, and I've learned a lot from people that are willing to share and if that didn't exist you know before whenever i first started doing this stuff and and there are some circles of people you know where investors are really kind of uh defensive about territory and sharing information and thinking of everybody as competition when they have a real scarcity mentality yeah we live in a uh, state of abundance that that's it that's it awesome no one of us can buy everything, right. can buy them all. So, I mean, there's always enough to go around. And, um, just being willing to go out and meet people and make connections and help where you can help. And in the end, you know, comes back your way on from somewhere else or another opportunity. Awesome. So what's next for you? Next for me, um, I'm continuing my business and doing some wholesaling and flipping houses around the Baton Rouge market. And my youngest is about to graduate high school this school year. And um, with with his graduation from high school and my next older son graduating from LSU in December, that kind of opens the door to uh, a little bit more mobility from my wife and myself. Awesome. So um, we'll see how things go as far as... Uh, whether or not I spend more time around Lafayette or Baton Rouge <laughs> as those changes happen in the family. Okay, Robert, next next we just have the radio round where we ask you three questions real fast so that our listeners can get to know you, you a little bit better. First question is, what's your favorite book? My favorite book is an old one. It's a classic, The Seven Habits of Highly Successful. Stephen Covey. Stephen Love Covey. it. That's a good one. That was probably one of the first first ones I read. Next question, what's your favorite quote? 
My favorite quote is one from Colin Powell. Okay. And it is, if you don't have time to do it right, when are you going to find time to do it again? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Good deal. And then finally, what's your favorite thing to do when you're not working? Uh, my favorite thing to do is bass fishing. It's what I, I really enjoy doing. And hopefully that's with some of my family. Absolutely. Uh, my boys. True, true South Louisiana man right there. <laughs> so I really appreciate you coming on today. I know we covered a lot of topics, a, a lot of good content for, for our listeners. I, I know they're all going to enjoy learning about REOs and, and self-directed IRAs. We, you know, we're super, super happy that you, you came on. Where can our listeners find you? The easiest, I'll give you my shortest email. I have multiple email addresses like most of us do nowadays. <laughs> uh, my easy email address is Rob Leonard, R-O-B-L-E-O-N-E-R-D at KW.com. Awesome. Well, thank you again, and we'll talk to you again soon. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to the Rent Roll Radio Show brought to you by Crestworth Capital. We hope you enjoyed the show, and if you did, please hit the subscribe button and leave us a rating and review. You can also visit us at CrestworthCapital.com or RentRollRadio.com or follow us on Facebook at RentRollRadio or at Crestworth Capital. If you would like to reach us, feel free to shoot us an email at info at RentRollRadio.com or sterling at CrestworthCapital.com. We hope you come back next week to join us on some more of our journey. Until then, happy investing.